Let's read God's word. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. They... Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you to exile. God bless you. Amen. If you uh, will have a seat, we're going to get started um, this morning. Uh, as you can tell, we've had a good weekend uh, uh, for, from Friday night when we got started here um, through uh, Saturday. All day yesterday, we did um, some various things around the community. We did some Bible study together. Uh, we then went and served at three different areas in our community doing some prayer walking, some painting at the Friendship Home. And then to the, uh, we went to Riverside and did some kids clubs that we do like we do in the summertime. And then last night, we got together and had a good time. Uh, around a campfire when it finally got cooled down and finally felt like fall. Um, but I want to just ask anybody, there's several of y'all, we have some leaders uh, who stayed the whole weekend or some of you helped with food or you opened up your home to 30 guys and, and, and about that many girls. If you would just stand, if you did a breakout session Friday night, if you would stand up, um, let me see. I see, yeah, Chris and Jan, you guys right there. Hey, let's lead them. You got students. Let's uh, give these guys a hand. We did some phenomenal things, man. Uh, over the over the weekend, we um, we had uh, some guys come in on Friday night, lead us in some breakout sessions that were just phenomenal, uh, answering hard questions of the faith, how to share the gospel, and how to study the Bible, and just really uh, looked for a time uh, to be able to equip us and uh, help us uh, grow in our walk with the Lord and help us to be able to to serve God. Uh, we spent time studying the Word together. We spent time serving. Uh, the guys last night spent some time singing karaoke at midnight. Um, we did a lot of fun, a lot of fun stuff like that. But uh, the theme this weekend, as you can already tell by our shirts, by the screen, uh, is launch. When, you, when, when I, I ask you the term launch, when I say, what, what, is that, what does that mean? Typically, if you're like me, you're going to think of, of like a rocket or a ship that's, that's launching out of a bay. Or you're going to think of something that is on a course uh, to a desired destination. That's what you're going to be thinking of. Uh, or you maybe think uh, of a GPS, right? We have things called GPSs nowadays, and they're more sophisticated than they once were, right? Anybody know, uh, has, has any of you ever used a road atlas? Raise your hand. Man, okay, students, look behind you because you, you, you're not raising your hand. Yeah, yeah, okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah. A road atlas is this piece of paper that's folded up, you know, and you open it up and it has road names on it. And it, it's, these, it's this big map that now Google Maps, you know, you can kind of just do like that and it kind of zooms in. It, it shows you. Um, you know, it shows you a way to get somewhere. Uh, I remember when I was a, when I was a kid, we didn't really do loads of vacations, um, but. My mom was a teacher, so she was off in the summertime, and my dad was a truck driver. So uh, you would think that being a truck driver, he would want to take time away from driving, but that wasn't the case. Like, I, my most vivid vacation I ever went on, we started in Old Fort, all right? That, 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 that's already a good start to vacation, all right? We started in Old Fort, and we drove down through South Carolina, through Georgia, through Alabama, through Mississippi, back up into Missouri, back up into Memphis, Tennessee, back into, up into Kentucky, back into Knoxville, Tennessee, excuse me, Nashville. Yeah, yeah, we went to the Grand Ole Opry, and then we rode home. 
Right, this was like a seven-day trip. And you would think, man, that sounds good. You got to visit all these cool places. No, my dad, as a truck driver, took us to the greasiest hamburger joints you could find, man. So the, the whole next seven hours while you're riding, your stomach's just killing you because of that. But we got to see some pretty cool stuff. But the thing is, we, we set out on that vacation. I remember we didn't have a desired course. Dad was like, I'm just going to start driving. And we're going to, you know, if I see a road that I remember, we're going to take off down that road. Um, but many times you go on a vacation, what do you do? The first thing you do, unless you just remember how to get there you put it in your phone or whatever and you, you put it in the gps and then it says you know you reach your destination in six and a half hours and it tells you every little way to get there right or just like going on a vacation and having a destination life our lives are very much like a journey our lives are like a, a journey because often they're fun and exciting and often we, we, we go and we see things and see experience that, experiences that we've never seen before. But also what comes with that is also kind of hiccups and bumps along the way. Right? Because many of you sit in here and you can say, yeah, my journey called live. I've had a lot of bumps. I've gone over a lot of potholes. I've, 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 I've gone in some narrow roads. I've gone around some windy roads in this journey in my life. And, and, and maybe... Uh, you're wondering, am I on the right path that God has for me? Maybe um, your life is like a journey and we got to realize that we haven't reached. We haven't even gotten to our final destination yet. And we've got to remember that we are on a path. And today I want us to, to learn one thing from Jeremiah 29, 11. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. You may sit here and you think, I, I, don't, I don't believe that. Well, I hope by the end of this that you do. Or maybe you sit there and you're like, well, I know he does. But you need to be reminded that the God of this universe who spoke the world into existence also has a unique plan for your life. That's what I want us to see this morning. God has a plan for his people. We're going to see that that plan consists of a future and a hope and that whatever God promises, guess what? He does. If God promises something, he never leaves it hanging there. God always does what he promises. So we're going to see this morning that God makes a promise to his people that seems so audacious, seems so out there, that the promise of fulfillment almost seems impossible. Because what we see is in this text, Jeremiah 29, 11, which we often see what on, on, on coffee mugs or on t-shirts or, or athletes eye black, they wear it. You see all this stuff. This is not just some metaphor, metaphorical verse. This verse was a promise to God's people who were in exile. You see, the, uh, God's people were in a place that they didn't want to be. And God was saying, I have a plan and a future for you. And some of you are sitting here this morning and you are battling situations. You're in a situation that is tough and you never thought you would be in that situation. And you need to know that God has a plan for your life. You're in a situation that you, you can't believe that you would ever be in. God still has a plan for you. So we have two truths today. And the first one is this. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. This comes from the Jeremiah 29, 11. We all know it. It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. The interesting thing about this promise is that he doesn't promise this when everything's good. The people of Judah are in exile to Babylon and then God makes that promise. 
Why is that crucial to know? Because if we always think about God's promises in really good times and think, yeah, God's promised this, then as soon as we get into bad times, what do we often forget? That God still has a plan for us. And in the middle of exile, what were they having to do when they heard that God has a plan for them? They had to trust and have faith that God actually was going to come through with what he is promising. See, Judah was was in captivity to Babylon and most of its best people were sent away. All the, all the good men in Judah were sent, away to learn, were sent away to Babylon to learn all of the Babylonian culture. And still God whispers a promise through his prophet Jeremiah. But what would, what would make Judah even, even get to a place of being in exile? We see in 2 Kings that um, the, the, the kings, this line of kings that Judah had had, there, there was a word. Every time you saw their name, every time you saw these kings' names... You saw a word, a few words that followed, and those words were this. That king's name did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. See, the the northern kingdom had already been taken over years earlier, but Judah remained. And after a long line of terrible kings, God had had enough. Because in verse 14 of our passage, we see that God allowed this to happen. God caused this to happen. He allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in and take over the kingdom of Judah. And this is what it says he did. The king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the mighty men of valor. These are the good, strong guys. 7,000. And the craftsmen and the metal workers, 1,000 of them, strong and fit for war. Jerusalem had been, had been taken over. The best and the brightest had been sent away to Babylon and all hope, if you are someone who lives in Judah, all hope for you is, 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 is gone. You're, you're either, you're either uh, um, you didn't get taken away because you weren't good enough or they took you away to totally change your worldview and make you into somebody different and you have zero hope. See, Jerusalem uh, had been taken over and, and, and God's people, though, before that had been uh, in the place called the promised land. Hence the term what? Promised land. It was promised to who? It was promised to them. So when they were taken away, does this mean that God had broken his promise? Because it would be real easy if you're somebody in, uh, who's in exile now. You say, God, you promised us this land. And yet you're taking us away. Have you broken your promise? No. No, because God doesn't break promises. I'm going to kill it before the day's over with. God doesn't break promises. No, instead, they had given themselves over to the worship of other things, and God had caused judgment to come against them. See, this is often what happens when we give ourselves over to sin. God's plan hasn't changed. Our obedience to his plan puts us in situations that God never desired. God's plan doesn't change whenever our obedience changes. The person who's changing is often us. So in the midst of this situation, God still, though, we'll see by the end of the passage, God proves his faithfulness, his patience, and how gracious he is by reminding them that he has a plan for them. These people weren't at home. They weren't treated the best. They, um, they knew based on Jeremiah what he promised that this exile wasn't going to be over anytime soon. These people were listening to other prophets who were prophesying false things. They lived in fear. They worshiped false gods and they put their hope in other things. But in the midst of all of this commotion, in the midst of all of this stuff that would have blurred their vision, how in the world could they still trust the promise that God was making? How in the world would they do that? The thought could have been, you know, God, if you had a plan, you would make it so clear that we would see exactly what we need to do. God, if you really had a plan for us, It would be easy to accomplish. 
We, we, we wouldn't have to worry about anything. God, wouldn't uh, your plan for us be to come in and, and, and take swift judgment out on the people who are oppressing us because your plan is, is for me to just have everything perfect in my life? Surely, surely God doesn't want us to be in exile because if he's really God, he wouldn't allow this to happen to me. All these thoughts could be swirling around the, 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 the people of Judah and these thoughts could be some that also swirl in your mind when you get in a situation and you think, how could God allow? Or you get in a situation and you think, God should make his plan so clear to me that I don't have to, 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 to make a choice. But yet, God still promises. You see, some of you sitting here this morning and maybe you, you think you're, 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 in, you're in a place actually right now of what we would call exile. You're in a place where you just think, man, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't know what God thinks about me right now. I don't know how I even think about myself. And you need to be reminded that God has a greater plan for you than you could ever plan for yourself. And what we need to see today is maybe instead of putting your trust in your own plans, you need to be reminded that God's plan consists of a future and a hope And if God has your best interest in mind, shouldn't you trust in God's plan? See, some people may be skeptical that God even has a plan for you. And you need to be reminded of God's character. And see that maybe you are in a situation where where you, you kind of view God as someone who does your bidding. And when it doesn't kind of work out the way that you want it to, you blame God because you think he should sort of do what you want him to do. And today we need to be reminded of this, that God has a plan for us. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Can you trust? Can you trust that God has a plan for your life? Can you trust that? Can you trust that he gives what he promises? Can you trust that in the midst of your trials and, 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 and things that you go through, that God still desires and has a plan for your life that is good? Because see, whether you're 17, whether you're 77, some of you may sit here and you think that what you've done in the places you've been has forfeited God's plan for your life. But let me just say this. If God had a plan for an idolatrous, unrepentant group of people called the Israelites, God has a plan for you. God has a plan for you. You see, if you're like me, though, you want to know, guess what? Every single detail of the plan. Do we, do we have any itinerary people in here? You set itineraries for everything. I've already set an itinerary for like three years vacation from now, okay? I, I'm, I'm one of those kind, and I don't always do well with that. But yeah, I, I love knowing exactly what is going to happen next. But oftentimes, oftentimes what happens is, is when those things don't, don't go right, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm in a world of worry, okay? I'm in this, okay, we, we are not on schedule. All right, that stop at Chick-fil-A took three minutes longer than I thought it would. What is going on right here, though? It was probably the best three minutes of my life. It took a little bit longer than I thought. But you want to know what's happening right, right now, five minutes from now, five days from now, five months from now, five years from now. But the thing is, God says, I know the plans I have for you. It doesn't say that you should always know them. It doesn't say that you should make up your own plans and then tell God what they are. It says that God says, I have plans for you. This is a crucial part of this. We don't know every single part of God's plan for our lives, but we know the God who holds our plan. 
See, this is the deal. The difference is not that we know every single thing that, that we should be doing in life. But if you're a follower of Christ, you know the God who holds you in the palm of his hand. And he has your best interest in mind. And if he is the creator and controller of this universe, faith in him is better than trusting in your own plan. As long as he is God and he knows your future, then you can trust that he will take care of you no matter what. The times in my life that I've honestly struggled the most have been times when even whether it be struggles or whether it be um, um, good times in my life, I've trusted in my own plan. I've, I've honestly not really asked God, God, what's going on right here? I've just kind of done my own thing. And over the course of time, I'm like, where am I at right now? And some of the, some of the most uh, uh, best times in my life is even when I've gone through difficult situations have been when I knew and I was trusting that God has a future for me, trusting that God has a plan for me. No matter what I was going through, I knew that he held me in the palm of his hand and I didn't worry because I trusted in God for that. You see, Jeremiah is promising something to these people. And just years before, guess what? He had doubted God before. What does Jeremiah 1, 5 and 6 say? God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. Before you ever were even formed in your mother's womb, God knew who you were. And then Jeremiah says, ah, oh Lord, behold, I don't know how to speak for I'm only a youth. He was beginning to make excuses for God's plan for his life already. But yet we see over the course of the book that he, he didn't stop. He continued to trust in God's plan for his life because he understood that God had a plan for him and his future. You see, as a youth pastor, I, I talked to uh, many students over the course of time who they, a lot of them say the same thing, God, I, or they don't, they don't say that. They say, I want to know God's will for my life. I, I want to know God's will for my life. I want to make sure that I'm choosing exactly the right college. You know, it's, 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 it's between Carolina and Duke and there's not even a choice there, you know, but you gotta, gotta choose exactly the right. Some of y'all just tuned me out right then, but, uh, um, you gotta choose exactly the right college or, or, or maybe it's not about that. It's like, if I, if I choose the wrong college, am, am I out of God's will forever? If I, if I choose the, the wrong person, what, what is, what does that mean? I've, ta- I've talked to many people recently who are, are afraid of failing at what they are supposed to do in life. You, you don't know if, if you should, um, should start dating that person or seek a relationship with that person because you're worried that it may not be right and then you don't even do anything. Or maybe you're worried about you're going to choose the wrong college or choose the wrong career or choose the wrong situation and, and you're just wondering, you know, what, what's God's will for my life? Like, what is it? And we see in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, God says this. It's, it's, it's a simple phrase. He says, the will of God is this, your sanctification. All right, I'm going to say it again. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. What does that mean? That means God's will, first and foremost, doesn't, doesn't hinge on what job you choose, what college you go to, what person you marry, how much money you make. God's will for you is that no matter what you're doing, you are growing in your relationship with Christ if you have one. That's God's plan. God's plan is first and foremost not, not these details. God's plan is that you walk with him closely every single day. And often what happens is sin in our life clouds that vision of what God has for us. And many times we can't see what we should be doing. 
God's will is our obedience. We talked about this yesterday in our Bible study with the guys. God's will isn't first and foremost these details of what I should be doing next and and what classes I should take next year and what things I should be doing. God's will is that you obey him. And there there must be a time in your life when you stop thinking about every single, and this is hard because this is coming from a detailed person, stop thinking about every single detail in your life and you trust in God's providence and you trust that God will work out what he desires for you in his time because he knows every detail. That's what we've got to trust. See, I'm a, I'm a prime example of that, too, because years ago, I felt God called me to ministry at about the age of 18. And, and I, didn't know, I didn't know what to do. I was just like, okay, I just start preaching somewhere. You know, I, actually, I didn't do that. But I, I didn't know exactly what to do. But I felt God maybe urging me, Adrian, you're, you're called to ministry. So uh, um, I, I decided I, I, had a, I had a cousin. I, his parents were back here. I had a cousin who, who said he found this college. And many of you now know the the. The band, it's called Hillsong, but they, they have a college. And he said, man, he said, let's go there. So I was like 18 years old. Yes, Australia, Sydney, Australia. That sounds awesome. I'll go. Okay, so worked for about six months, hopped on a plane, left, went down there. And, and just for various reasons, it wasn't the situation that I, that I should be in. So what did I do? I came back. And I remember when I came back, I remember thinking to myself, God, you must not call me to ministry. Because I wasn't supposed to be there, so I'm done. So for three years, man, I just totally, I, I totally left that idea. Left it. Didn't even think about it. I mean, it, the thought occurred to me occasionally, but I thought, okay, I've already, I, I've realized that's not God's will for my life, so I'm, I'm not going to go into ministry. The, the thing that I want us to realize before I go into the story is that at least one thing that I was doing right is I was at least trying something. And oftentimes I think we can get so worried that we're going to fail at something that we don't even try. And, and at 18 years old, you try anything, right? So you'll fly all the way across the world. So that, that's what happened. And I, I got back here, and for three years, I just, just ran from it. Didn't even think about the idea until one day uh, uh, I was sitting back in the back somewhere, and Jerry was preaching a sermon, and he said, um, he said this morning this sermon is going to be about people. If you're called to ministry, I'm going to, I'm, you know, th- this might be something along those lines. He made some kind of comment like that. You might want to pay attention. So I kind of just sat up in my seat. And the whole service, like I remember leaving that day thinking to myself, okay, it, that's definitely not God's call in my life because I feel nothing. All right? I, I feel nothing. Until the next Sunday, he's preaching on something entirely different. A week passes, he comes up here, he's preaching on something different. And it was as if God said, Adrian, th- that, that's what you need to do. You've been running from me for three years. You're trying to walk with me again. That's what you need to do. So I started taking steps to say, all right. I started meeting with him and, and saying, all right, God, God what, what do you want from me now? And, and went to college, went to seminary, ended up getting a job here. And things kind of worked out to where I'm preaching here today. But the thing is, I went through these times where I didn't know God's plan. I didn't know God's will. But I had to, at some points, trust that God knew what was best for me. And as long as he did, what did I need to do? I needed to keep moving forward. Now, some of those times in my life, guess what I didn't do? I didn't, I didn't walk with him. And when you're not walking with Jesus, guess what? You're not gonna, it's not going to be so clear to you what God's plan is for your life. Because sin often clouds your vision. But many of us need to stop worrying about details. And we need to do like what Abram did when we studied him yesterday in our Bible study. God said, Abraham, I want you to go. And the next thing Abraham did is, is he went. If you read Genesis 12, and I encourage you to do that today. Read Genesis 12. God said, Abram, go. And he said, when you go, I'll, I'll tell you where, you where you're going. See, if you're like me, that would freak me out. Like I asked the boys yesterday, I said, what if God told you, hop in a car and go, and on your way, I'll tell you where to go. How many of y'all would like that? Most of them were like, no, I don't know where I'm going. 
God said, Abram, I want you to go. And then I'll tell you where to go. And it said next, this is the crucial part of that passage. It said, Abram went. He didn't make excuses. He could have. He was 75 years old. God, how are you going to make me into a great nation? How am I going to travel? What am I going to do? 75 years old. He took off and he went. He left. Because he trusted God had a plan for his future. So we see that God has a plan for you. And I want you to to know that God has a plan for you. But the second thing today is this. I want us to see what God's plan includes. I want us to see what God's plan includes. If we look, we see that God's plan includes multiple things here. What does it say? Peace. In some uh, translations it says welfare. That word just means peace. Peace and not evil. God's plan doesn't include evil for your life. It includes peace. It, It includes a future. A future. Sometimes that's just good to know you have a future. It includes hope. See, what's crucial about these three things is that without them, everything is dim. Right? We can go days without water. We can go a a lot fewer days without food. But I bet you money, you can't go very long without hope. And God promises hope. To people in a dire situation, God says, I have a promise to you. And it is hope. He also says this. He says, I promise to restore what's been broken. What's been broken? The kingdom. The kingdom of Judah, the kingdom of Israel, both had been broken. And he's saying, I promise to restore this. Then what does he also say? He says, when you seek me, you will, what does it say? You'll find me. See, this is, um, um, this is important for us to realize because God was saying, hey, you people of Judah, you've never had access to me before ever. And now I'm going to give you access to me. See, here's what I mean. There, there was a, a, a time when the people of Judah, what, 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 what did they do? They went to the high priest, and the high priest would walk into the Holy of Holies that was, uh, that was guarded by a huge curtain. And he would walk in there, and he would talk to God on behalf of the people. So the people didn't have access to God. This is kind of a little bit harder for us to fathom because access to God seems somewhat easy. But to the Israelites, it wasn't easy. The Holy of Holies was a very guarded place and only one man could walk into the presence of God. But God says for the first time ever, when you seek me, what will happen? You will find me. I'm giving you access to me. This is good for us to know too because God isn't playing a game of peekaboo with us. Trying to say, hey, I want you to look for me and maybe you might find me. No, God says when you seek me, I'm not hiding from you. When you seek me, you will find me. God is right there. He wants us to, to be there with him. He wants us to seek him. But how does he want us to do it? It says that we, we find him when we seek him with what? All of our heart. To seek him with all of our heart means that we want him more than anything else in the world. When, when you want something with all your heart, you, you want something more than you want anything else. Like right now, I want a nap, all right, with, 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 with all of my heart. I, yes, yes. And, 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 and hopefully I don't fall asleep in between services, but I want a nap really, really, really bad. And I, I don't want it with all my heart, but I want it really bad. But to want something with all your heart means you want it more than anything else in the entire world. And see, the thing is, we oftentimes want something other than God more than anything else. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's, 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 a, it's, it's love. Maybe it's power, maybe it's influence, maybe it's success. It can be so many things that we want other than God. And God says, don't seek those things with all of your heart. He said, instead, seek me with all your heart. 
Because when you do, guess what? You will find me. Because those things, marriage, success, influence, none of those things are bad, but those things aren't ultimate things. God is the ultimate one who then can maybe give us those things within his plan. You see, Jesus said it, seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God doesn't play second. God has a plan for your life, and he wants all of your focus so that when you focus on him, he can direct you to the right path. See, the the Old Testament promises some of this, but I want to read to us a moment what the New Testament promises Christians. If If you're a follower of Christ and you're sitting here this morning, God makes some promises to you that he wants you to know and that he wants you to believe in and that he wants you to trust. You see, the majority of this sermon, I, I, I probably will not say, hey, go out of here and do this. Instead, today it's going to be go out of here and know this. Because many times before we can go do, we've got to know. And we've got to know that God has a plan for us and that God promises things to us. And if you're a Christian, God promises this to you. Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 12.9 My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has ever overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that you may endure it. Romans 8, 28, if you're a Christian, this is true for you. And we know that God, we know that for those who love God, he works out all things together for their good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Hebrews 13, 5, God promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Romans 8, 37 through 39, God promises Christians, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And Matthew 28, 20 says this, Jesus promises, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These are promises from God. That God promises to you and that God promises you if you're a follower of Christ, God promises this to you. So no matter who you are in here this morning, though, God has a plan for you. And his plan is for peace, for hope, for restoration, for a future, for access to him. And our response is what? To seek him with all of our heart. You got to realize, God, you've got a plan. You know my best interest. You're working out all things for your glory and my good. Therefore, I will seek you with all of my heart. But you see this, God did restore them to their land. But if God's only promise was to restore them to their land and then that would be done, then we would be done. There would have no reason to go on. But that promise was carrying forward, not just to the promise of the restoration into that land, but also to another promise. That Jeremiah just two chapters later would prophesy about. You see, that promise wasn't ultimately fulfilled just in them returning to Judah. That promise was fulfilled through what Jeremiah says in 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. 
And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. You see what Jeremiah is talking about in both of these promises in 29 and 31. There was a time... And for many of you, you're still there, that your soul was in captivity and bondage to sin. When the promise to restore us came not through a prophet, the promise to restore us came through the Son of God when he hung on a cross and died for your sin, paying the penalty for your sin so that your broken union with God could then be restored and your evil heart could be replaced with peace with God and with a new heart made by the new covenant. That's what this promises. The gospel is the good news that God's plan for your life starts with you trusting in Jesus for the provision over your sin. You see, God's plan doesn't start with details. God's plan for you starts with understanding Jesus has paid all of my sin. Therefore, I seek him with all of my heart. I, I seek him with everything that I am because he fulfilled that promise made in Jeremiah 29, 11. He fulfilled that promise to me that he has a plan and his plan meant that we could have access to God. And we, you and I, if we're Christians, we have access to God. How? Through the blood of Jesus. Through Jesus going to a cross, dying in our place and for us so that then we could have a relationship with God. And we can know personally the God who has given us a future, a God who has given us a hope, and a God who promises peace. When we know that, when we get that, we can do what the the people of Judah did whenever they were marching back up to Jerusalem after they had been set free out of captivity. It said their mouths were filled with laughter, their tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. Therefore, we are glad. We're glad, not not because we know the details of every part of our plan. We first off are glad, we are joyful, we are excited because God had laid down his life for us so that we could be accepted into God's family and start on God's journey for our life. So I want to ask this this morning to the unbeliever here today. If you sit in this room this morning and you don't know Christ, you don't know him and you know you don't know him. You don't know the Jesus who gave his life for you so that you could have a future and a hope. Will you trust in him today? Trust in him. Start your your future as as a child of God today. There's no point in waiting. God has arms wide open saying, I want to know you. I'm I'm giving access to you. I want to know you and I want you to be in my family. Will you do it? Then to the believer, oftentimes it's easy To trust God with our eternity, right? It's easy to think, God has got my eternity, I'm going to heaven, but then it's difficult to trust God with today. And this morning, I'm asking you, can you, no matter what you're battling, no matter what you're going through, how unreal it seems, will you trust that God has a plan for you today and can you trust God? And no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, can you trust God today? Can you trust that God has a plan for you and that his plan includes these promises in Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14? Can you trust those promises? Let's pray. Jesus, we are grateful that you fulfilled that promise, that you didn't leave us hanging. 
Jesus, that you established a new covenant when you gave your life for us. That you brought us into your family and we no longer have to worry and fear. If we're your child of, 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 of what we may face in life, we ultimately just focus our eyes on you, God, and know that you have our best interest in mind. Even if it doesn't realize, seem that way to us, you have our best interest in mind. You know what's best for us. May we trust in you today, God. To the unbeliever in here this morning, God, to the one who doesn't know you, may they see, Jesus, that you love them so much that you would give your life, paying the penalty for their sin, and that they would trust you. God, we're grateful. We love you. God, I'm grateful for a good weekend this weekend with these students. Encouraged by what, they, uh, by what they've been doing and how you've been growing them, God. Thank you so much for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.